Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Making Action Happen. I am Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. We have so much to catch you up on today. So it's just Brian and I in the studio. It, um, when you'll hear this, it'll be into the first week, real week of February. Uh, today is Groundhog Day um, for us. And my mom reminded me this morning that uh, my dad, when he was wanting to be a punk, used to always take Groundhog Day off because he thought, you know, we're taking days off for all these other things. So he would literally take Groundhog Day off every year, which was pretty adorable. Um, Would he watch the movie Groundhog all day? No, no, gosh, no. He would pet around the house and, you know, he didn't, yeah, I don't know what he would do, (laughs) but he'd call us all and be like, I'm taking Groundhog Day off. And we'd be like, that's great, daddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Can't argue with that. No, he's, he was that kind of guy. Um, so, By the time you're hearing this, like I said, we'll be deep into the week, but we have so much to catch up, uh, catch you up on. Um, the number one and maybe the most exciting is this big change we've been telling everybody about, and there's been lots of whispers about, Mm -hmm. and, uh, it's officially official as of this broadcast. And we are, um, we are no longer Action 22, but Action Colorado. Action Colorado. So um, it's uh, this was sort of a long time um, coming as far as what we needed to do and how we do better. So um, when our oldest son, Ferris, was a little dude, just like little, um, we loved this movie, Bugs Life. And I've been thinking a lot about that uh, movie later. It's a Pixar movie. Um, It's really cute and poignant. Um, But uh, we've had a lot of conversations in the last couple of years. One of the great things about what we do is that a lot of candidates uh, join our organization. Mm -hmm. And then we get to have really in-depth talks with them as they're going through their campaign. And why that, to me, why that's so special is because we know that... Our discussions are nonpartisan. They're focused on the issues. Mm-hmm. We get to see everybody's perspective, and we get to help them see the perspectives of those people that they're helping, um, or that they're that they want to serve and represent. And so they get some insights. And so one of the people that we've um, talked with a lot is Adam Frisch. Mm-hmm. Um, he's uh, he's actually become a, a pretty good. A friend of ours. He's been a big yeah. supporter of, of Action 22. He knows about this um, change. He's really excited about it. But he said something to me uh, when I saw him the other night that I thought really uh, gave me a perspective that was really important. He said, of course, we all know there's 64 counties in Pueblo, but I mean in Colorado. And of those 64 counties, he says there's two kinds of counties. There's the counties that consume And then then there's the counties that produce. He said, think about that. And that hit me so hard. That landed right in the center of my forehead, especially about surrounding what we're talking about. So of the counties, so here's the interesting part. Of the counties that consume, Mm -hmm. they have the numbers to win elections. Mm -hmm. Um, And for whatever reason, those that are elected – the counties that consume whoever they like to to represent them or to be the decision makers um, don't really take into consideration the needs of those counties that produce. Yeah, it's like that federally, though, too, because yeah. that's the flyover states. It's um, somebody wrote about it. It's been talked it was around world war ii or after world war ii that there was the america was divided between the consumption states and the producing states and that's part of why we have the electoral college and the argument for that was you know that the votes are the consumers and you tend to overlook the producers of it because they just don't have the numbers so whether it's colorado the united states or even the world it's kind of the the argument it's like the people that control the narrative or the consumers 
which is kind of like, you know, companies, that's almost like the free market, but the producers and it's not, we're talking, we're not talking about like iPhones or technology or products. We're talking about food, mostly food. Um, you can add energy, um, oil, gas, solar, wind, you know, all that, um, food. So what we eat, but those are the producers and they tend to get overlooked. And, um, you know, that was the argument when Trump won the first time, um, that the flyover states were kind of the Trump states. So it was like the producing states, the producers were the Trump people. And that even gets into the manufacturers and the people working in oil and gas. And, you know, even a lot of the unions, even though they may have endorsed Biden, I think a lot of their membership actually supported Trump or voted for Trump at least. Um, and when he brought that up with Colorado, I'm used to thinking of it on a national scale. But mm-hmm. as far as just a Colorado scale, it's completely true. It's 100% true. So here's what's the really interesting thing, because I've been thinking about it for the last week since he said that to me. And, and I thought, so the, the, cons- the consumer counties have the vote. They get to make the decisions. Um, the decision makers on that public policy um, you know they're they're not making decisions on behalf of the producers. Um, but here's what's interesting: the producing counties um, can still function without the consumer, but the consumer can't function yep. without the producer. Yep. So, in and the, it, in the that, oh, and that's. Um, I'll have to Google it, but you're seeing these farmers protest. I think it's in France or. Oh yeah, I saw that. That was kind of cool. Yeah, argument that they're saying it's like you guys are making all these rules and hindering us and all these regulations that's hurting our industry. So what happens if we just stop producing? If we stop producing, and that's where you're seeing it. um, Not here as much, but overseas in the European countries. Um, so it makes you wonder. So then the other thing that we've been thinking on and, and trying to uh, figure out how to navigate in the last couple of years is there used to be a really healthy, robust, what we call a stakeholdering process. And that has has gone away uh, for a lot um for a lot of reasons, and I don't know that anybody is trying to do that, but you know, there's all this pressure to get, um, you know, 750 to a thousand bills listened to, and this is um, that's just on the legislative side. I was uh, talking with uh, Garrison Ortiz this morning, and he s- said he was explaining our organization to somebody, and he said all you really focus on is the legislative side of what we do. He goes, you have no idea what they do beyond the legislative piece. And so, so here's what we, what we came up with and and we want to share with you. Um, So it's going to be, it's, it's, so we're now action Colorado or action CO. So basically take the logo and just take away the 22 (laughs) and replace it with the CO, which was really easy to design because I didn't have to do anything. (laughs) Although I did have to download the old font because for some reason, illustrator like cut out the font, which for all you, uh, design nerds out there. I'm kind of upset with Illustrator and Premiere Pro at the moment, but that's another, <laughs> it's a whole other show. Um, so yeah, it's nerd. at Action 22. It is Action Colorado. It's Action Colorado. So it's not just enough to take a position anymore. That used to be primarily, we would, especially on the legislative side, we take a, a position of um, support, oppose, amend, or need more information. Yep. Um, or that was the neutral side. Um what we need to do is we know that we need to be a leader in in saying what needs to happen. It's it, we have to go beyond taking a position. Yeah, it's um, not reacting defensively. It's pr- it's um, being proactive, right, in the issues. And it's still concentrate. You know, our concentration is Southern Colorado and rural Colorado. So uh, one of the fears was that we're kind of abandoning Southern Colorado, which is not Absolutely true. Absolutely not. In fact, Absolutely not, not a lot has changed as far as our organization goes, as our, our board, our leadership, our membership. But what it does, it gives us the opportunity to kind of split it up in committees to closely track some of the stuff that's going on, take a proactive stance on it and be aggressive in protecting rural Colorado as a whole, not just Southern Colorado. And, one of the reasons why we set this up too is the the issues that we deal with on a day to day basis is action twenty two 
are the same issues that all of rural Colorado deals with now. There's, you know, some issues that are different on the Western Slope, Northern Colorado, but for the most part, what we concentrate on, rural Colorado is on the same page. And what this does, it gives us the opportunity to kind of expand and expand our influence and our membership and be more proactive in defending our way of life in rural Colorado. Absolutely. So in order to do that, what we did is we created a structure that opened the doors to more and invited more key players to the table. And so this isn't based just on a geographic location, mm-hmm. um, although it's southern and rural yep. um, outside the Denver metro area is our focus. And, and, you know, we're like Brian said, we're we're so southern Colorado. You can't it's in our blood. Yeah. Um, but it also ensures that the stakeholder process is honored. That was really, really important to us. And, and it's important to note that, as it's stated with the state, um, the stakeholder process is the ballot, and anything beyond that's a privilege and not a right. But we need to remind them that they serve us and that it is our privilege and their privilege to serve us and to have them serving us, if that makes sense. It does. They serve at the privilege of the people, so you can't just cut out the stakeholdering process with the ballot. I think that was a poor excuse, and it was said by multiple state legislators on both sides saying, you know, the stakeholder process was me being elected, and I, I just don't buy that. Well, and the um, along that vein, we saw exactly the best example of that is exactly what we saw with uh, Proposition HH. Yeah. Um, Proposition HH was um, defeated by like a two-thirds. Yep. Um, and then within two weeks, the legislature uh, had a special session and they largely gave Colorado what was in HH to begin with. So, so when they say so, that the voting is yes. the stakeholder process, that's not true. Yeah, yeah. And I it's was just not true. That because yeah. the ballot did speak on that, but apparently they didn't listen. They didn't listen. So so the the other part of it is that we have a lot of expertise and so it's gonna that is within our membership. So this will switch it to folk be laser focused on issues over that rural geographic area. So the outside experts. the Denver area with, yeah, with experts. With the experts sitting at the table. Yeah. So we're going to tell you about that in just a second. But first, we just wanted to share what the new mission is. It's to represent and take action on the unique needs and issues of Colorado stakeholders who live and operate outside of the Denver metro area. We operate through a nonpartisan lens to be strategically impactful on behalf of our members, predominantly rooted in rural and southern Colorado. So that's our new mission. We're really excited about it. Yeah. We've, we've actually been workshopping this um, new strategy for more than, um, for about six months or so. Yeah, and, and we split it up in a way that, that makes sense based off of what we were already covering. So if you go to like the Action 22 website, it says, what are the issues that we're concerned with? Um, this, how we, we broke it down for this is to actually have committees to address those issues. So we have agriculture, veterans, which is something that um, in the past we haven't been that involved with, but there is a need for it now, um, specifically for a lot of our veteran population moving to the rural areas. And you've just seen that kind of explode across Colorado, across the country. Um, infrastructure, which includes energy, broadband, transportation, environmental regulation. Uh, local government, which includes land use, tax policy, public safety, and homelessness, and economic development, which is workforce, housing, education, and healthcare. And that's how it's split up. And we're going to have board chairs on each one, and they're going to submit our um, not board chairs, committee chairs on each one, and they select the people that are going to sit at the table, bring in the experts, so we can proactively address the issues that we're facing in Colorado right now, rural Colorado and southern Colorado. And to be fair, and and all of Colorado, it's not just rural that's dealing it's, with these right. issues. It's, and they're operating in rural Colorado because they know that's where it has to happen. So along that vein, um, we want to hear what your input is, what input you have. And for our members, if there's any of these committees that you're interested in, uh, let us know. And we're going to send out an email asking um, for that input. We, we're not putting any provisions because really the, the Action 22 board is 
100% bought in on this. Um, and they're the ones that designed this structure, which yeah. I think is really important to note because what we needed them to do is take a bigger role, um, in helping us gather that. It's just, it's just too much for, us, mm-hmm. the two of us to do. So what they'll do is they'll turn around and say, here's what action needs to happen with all of these. And so this is everybody that we've talked to about, and we've probably visited between the two of us with our board and uh, members of the community, uh, people who were involved with Action 22 um, in the past, uh, even uh, Kathy Garcia, who um, put together uh, she, you know, she was the original creator of Action 22. Um, all of these people have been really excited about this direction. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is because we are inviting more people to the table. Yep. So it's it can be um, our partner organizations or anything like that. We need your voice. We need your expertise. We need to do have everybody do more than take a position. We need you to say, this is what needs to happen and why. So... We're excited about that. Um, so there's a, two other updates I need to give you. Um, we are um, the academy. So we are going to do the action or the oh, leadership policy and governance you. academy. Golly. So that'll be launching soon. Uh, I'm going to send everything out. First part of next week, it'll be on the website, which is now actioncolorado.org. But if you still punch in Action 22, it'll go to it. So action22.org or actioncolorado.org. Our academy is going to launch probably the end of March. We pushed it back a little bit just because the largest complaint we had of it was it snows. The roads are terrible. The roads are terrible. In the winter. So we wanted to to push it back towards spring a little bit. And that way there's maybe less missed days from people driving from all over to to go to. And I think we're going to take it on the road this time. So if anybody's interested in that, just send me an email, uh, brian at actioncolorado.org or brian at action22.org. Any of those, just send me an email, go on our website and let me know that you're interested. That's the, the first class of that was a success and Huge all of them success. will attest that it's a lot of information a lot of learning and just the camaraderie that comes out of it is amazing amongst local leaders in the region not just in one area and we've seen amazing things uh that networking that that creating all that yeah. um synergy has there were some amazing results from that so we want uh, so that will happen again uh be aware and be ready um to either nominate somebody or to enter that class yourself. So we'll have that information out to you soon. Okay, so the stuff everybody should be paying attention to and the stuff that we've been working on. So broadband is a big one that Sarah's (laughs) been heavily involved with the past constantly, but more so right now than we have been in the past. So what's going on with broadband? So I'll tell you that we created this broadband committee uh, March of last year. And... I had promised at that time, and I've, I've said it a, a bunch, and if you've already heard this, um, I apologize, but uh, Brian, I had promised Brian we weren't going to get into broadband anymore. But we had a number of members come to us and say, hey, we need your help, and I thought I could get it done in one meeting. I'm really glad that I didn't let it go in one meeting, and I'll tell you why. There's, there's two really big reasons. One is that we, without really intending to, we use that broadband committee, uh, as a a way to, um, as a model really for what we were going to do on a broader scale with action Colorado. And, and the way that we did that is we just invited members who were experts to the table and Mm -hmm. a couple of, uh, we had a couple new members because they saw the value in having these discussions on that, on that higher level. These are folks who, if you're in the broadband uh, business, you would know their names, but uh, they really brought a lot of things um, to light on how we, especially with all of this money that's supposed to be coming to Colorado, should happen. So here's what's going to happen, or here's what's happening, and uh, there's some frustration, so you'll hear that in my voice with regard to this. We've been working on this for about six months. What happened was... As this money came out, the the most logical way to deploy the money to get and this the idea of this was to get um, high speed, low cost, or affordable broadband to one hundred percent of homes 
in Colorado. That was the governor's executive order. Yep. That was the intent. And we all, we said, yeah, this, we agree with this. This is great. By what date? Um, so the, <laughs> so the first round of that was, um, supposed to, that first round of that was, uh, well, everything was supposed to be done by the end of 24. Yeah. So like all the plans and all of that was supposed to be done by the end of 24 because there's two, there are two tranches of money, a federal money that would come to Colorado and then Colorado makes the decision on how that money is dispersed. Somewhere in that, and I'm really going to make some people angry, somewhere in that CDOT decided that it would be a good idea to get into the broadband game. So they wanted to create an additional revenue source on the backs of broadband. I don't know how to say it nicer. So they wanted to charge people and communities to basically CDOT would own the broadband and then they would charge a usage fee for it, correct? Yeah. So there was a there was a right-of-way fee that came up. And there's a question as to whether the language both the federal language and the state language, uh, that's even um, in the statute, and it's a, a cost recovery. But this is a per foot. At market rate value, right? At market rate value is Which what they're is saying. Yeah. yeah. So uh, market rate value, um, and so it was per foot per year. So when you're talking about rural communities, that's a tremendous amount. So they they said, here's the amount, and then – Everybody kind of lost their mind, and so now, you know, they're like, well, we've reduced the amount, we've reduced the amount, we've reduced the amount. But it's important to say for rural communities, for Denver, that's okay, because you're talking about, you know, our, our metro community, wherever it's at. You're talking, like, two miles worth of broadband in a city or county that has a very high revenue, and it's not a big deal. But then you go into small mountain towns, small rural towns, small plains towns, you're talking hundreds of miles of broadband, for a community or city or county that has no budget whatsoever, where $10,000 can make or break a county right now. There's a great example, to your point, there's a great example of under the current um, proposal of, of a structure in uh, a uh, fiber that would go from Kim to Trinidad. Uh, there's a proposal from CECOM, and John Saunders is one of um, one of our experts, Um it from from Kim to Trinidad, it would be ten thousand dollars per year, mm-hmm. um, and that's on top of the the initial installation costs, which, by the way, is what all other utilities do. So this is not something that um, other utilities have to pay for on this right of way fee. So this is yeah. just for broadband. Yep. So they saw broadband, they saw a pot of money, they said this is a way for. C for CDOT to make some more money. So, but what we're talking about in that $10,000 a year, we're talking about um, maybe at the most 75 households yeah. that that would serve. Because None it of, doesn't matter because everybody has to have the opportunity to connect to high speed internet or broadband per the governor's executive order. Correct. So if there's one person that lives 30 miles away, then they're going to have to fork over the cash to ensure that person has the capability to connect to broadband. Now, I want to make something really, really clear with regard to these providers, these, and whether it's a local government, um, a county, or if it is a private provider, um, like a CECOM, this, they do not have a problem with the process and they're not asking to be forgiven of, for installation. What they're saying is, we shouldn't, you know, we are under all these regulations to provide this, to do all these other things, but you're costing us out of it. Yeah. So right now there's a, so there is a, a bill, it's supposed to go to committee next week um, about, about this and, and how we could do some legislative relief on this. And we've taken into account what other states around us, because several of the experts on, on the broadband, our broadband committee work in other states. So we know what those fees are and what all of that is. The question really is, is it appropriate or fair for CDOT to take over broadband in Colorado. 
And that's really, that's really what we're talking about is all these barriers that are being put up. Um, should, should broadband pay for roads and bridges in Colorado? Yeah. That's what we're talking about here. So, um, that bills up. There's some things that, that, uh, have been proposed in that bill. There's lots of discussion, as you might imagine, around this. There's a lot of very unhappy people um, at CDOT about this. Um, the Joint Technology Committee, I understand, is discussing this bill right now. And um, we'll see what happens on Wednesday the 7th when this uh, bill is supposed to go in front of the committee. But what we're, what we're talking about is, are we actually going to... It would CDOT be able to deliver to those households if yeah. they were in charge of it? Um, can that can that be done? A lot of providers have um, gone back to because the next tranche. So here's the other problem: the next tranche of bead money. Um, there needs to be a report next month given to the federal government for those funds to be released. The timing on this is really, really, really tight to have this figured out. Um, and so, and this, for the record, the federal government wasn't comfortable with this initially. They weren't. Um, they were They were trying to put it all on local government. There were several things they did. And so they came back and they said, you're going to have to you're going to have to redo your plan. Yeah. Um, and so they've been working to redo the plan, but there's a lot of discussion on middle mile and a lot of other things. This is not middle mile. This is, this is access to yeah, this broadband is to homes, to directly to homes. So this is going to be a big fight and all that, that decision is going to be made how this works out in the next little bit. Um, I think it's going to get. I think it's going to get really messy. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. We'll see what happens uh, when they have the committee hearing. Are you going to be up there? I will be up there to testify. Several members of our um, committee will be up there to testify, uh, and so um, who's going to testify or support? Not our stance. So we're we're obviously taking a stance. There has to be a fix on this. There, there has to be some relief. Who is coming from the other side? C dot. CDOT. CDOT's gonna CDOT's gonna definitely be there um, to arg- try to argue their position. And there is something to be fair. There is something in the federal statutes that say that there can be a recovery of cost. But but, but there's somewhere there's it, there's somewhere, and it depends on who you talk to. It could be interpreted as fair market value. That's what I was going to ask. Now, the the really key part of fair market value is you have to look at what other regions, states, what other yeah. – So when we looked at what other states are doing, and we have, we have um, five or six surrounding states that – because it's really hard to – it's apples and oranges when you're – if you're yeah. talking Virginia versus Kansas, we're, they're two yeah. different things. So – and what they charge for that and how that goes. So um, if it's fair market value, then those other states aren't char- – nobody else is charging a, an annual an annual per foot fee. Yeah, yeah. That's a new one here in Colorado. Yeah, that's where that's where I think it's going to get into some weird right. issue where the feds may say. But Colorado's unique, and we've talked about it. We hate to beat a dead horse that we do stuff different with federal money. So the federal government sometimes does not know how to address Colorado, and they just kind of let us do our. They own don't, thing. and and there's um, there's some value in that autonomy and and us trying to figure out certain things because. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm not saying the federal government should come in and say, you know, you need to do it this way. You need to do that way. No, no, that not should at all. Be, but that I, should I be ours. The but the federal government's not going to have the time, want, or capacity to come in and step in, if, even if it's I agree. not f- per federal regulations on how it's spent. I think that they're just going to be like, oh, it's just Colorado being Colorado. Next. So and I, I think the other problem is, and pun intended, we don't have time to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. So on this, because if we don't have that, we just don't get the money. We just lose out. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So. So we have to get it. We have to get it done. However, it's going go to go forward. It how, has to be it done. It has now to be done. The money goes away. Um. But our objective is different than CDOT's objective. Yes. Our objective is affordable high-speed internet directly to the home. Um, and, and we agree with the governor's executive order on that and then the legislative order on that. High-speed internet directly to the home and um, 
CDOT's objective seems to be to own or or create another source of revenue off yeah. of this. Yeah. And so I think that's where we're getting in. We've gotten into the weeds on this. Yeah, so, exactly. Anyway, we'll keep you posted on that. It's a really big deal, um, but it's gonna. It's all going to be decided in the next couple months. So then going forward, something exciting here in Pueblo <laughs> happened. So Sarah's part of the PISAC committee, which I never remember what it stands for, but it's Pueblo Innovative Energy Solutions Advisory Committee. So basically what PISAC was is it's a, a group of community leaders that got together to figure out what to do with the Comanche Power Plant that Excel owns here in Pueblo, which, by the way, is, I think, the largest coal-fired power plant this side of the Mississippi. And again, we've talked about this a million times on the show, but the due to regulations and renewable energy mandates and clean energy mandates, the closure date for Comanche has been pushed back to 20, what is it? Uh, for Comanche 3? Yes. Um, it's 2031. It has to be shut down. By 2031. January 1st, 2031. So what this committee did was get together and try to figure out what would be best to replace Comanche 3. And I'll, I'll act like I'm interviewing you on this. So, Perfect. So basically, we have this push for renewable green energy in Colorado. That's just, that's what it is. It's not, it's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's uh, you. We will do this in Colorado, which is which is you know you could argue the good and bads of it, and we're not here to do that with this. So we might be. Well, yeah, we might be. <laughs> but but looking at this, so okay, so Comanche three doesn't generate any power for Pueblo. So get that out of the way, and this kind of ties into the argument because people say, why are we going to put a certain energy source? to replace Comanche 3 when it doesn't even power Pueblo. We don't get the benefits. Not true. So Comanche 3 provides tax revenue, and Comanche 3 was supposed to be open until, what was 2070. So they're basically, we'll put this in, in layman's terms because it gets very complicated with taxes. Um, so it's going to be up and running until 2070, and Pueblo County and the city, is it both the city and county get money? Uh, yes. Um, so this is not the this is separate from jobs yes yeah, um, so that this is just the tax so the tax base that it provides to the community was an expected source of money until 2070 until 2070 now that's not going to happen it's 2031 2031 so you're looking at almost well it's 2030 i mean really, yeah it's you're looking at 40 years of guaranteed tax revenue gone Right. Yeah. So also keep in mind that it's Comanche three. So Comanche one mm-hmm. has already been shut down. Yep. Comanche two gets shut down next year. Yep. And then Comanche three is the newer one that they built. And it's a newer one. It's, that, the, yeah. it's the high tech one. It's all of the stuff that they said we were going to need to do. Yep. And there's lots of finance and all of that. Yep. But right now, just FYI, right now, and it's not, it's, there's, they have three owners of this, of that, of that asset. Um, but the biggest owner, of course, is Excel Energy. Yep. They're kind of the boss. So between the, the three of the, between those three right now, they generate about 19 million a year in revenue. And that's for the, just for Comanche three, just for Comanche three. So that's the money that comes in when that goes away, that money goes away. So how do we replace this with something similar that provides the tax revenue over time and also the jobs? So the second part of this equation is how many people work at Comanche three? How many people are going to be impacted by this? 300? Um, just about yes. Between the, between both of them. So here, so, me, so but, no, so like 300 people are basically out of a job. Uh, less than that right now with Comanche three, it's less than that. Yeah. But when you talk about one, two and three, yeah. Yeah. It's around 300 people and those jobs on average pay roughly 80,000 a year. If you average it out between the lowest paying to the highest paying, I think it comes in around like 80,000, but there's people that work out there that make 150,000 a year. Yeah, there's people out there that make like 40,000 a year. So anyway, so, so those go away too. So part of them are already going away next year. And then there's going to be a big chunk of them that goes away for this. So, now you look at unintended consequences of that. So if you know your job's going to end, you're going to go look for another job. So that person may move away, not spending money in Pueblo. So with the push for renewable and green energy in Colorado, um, obviously the two that come up are wind and solar. And there are incentives for wind and solar. 
and you can, so we don't have the geography to match it or the space or, you know, everything when it comes to wind and solar, we can, we can do a lot of it, but it won't be the same. But at the same time, the tax revenue generated by a wind or solar, or I think it's renewable energy, or is it green energy? It's re, it's renewable. renewable They're energy. talking about wind and solar. Yeah, yeah, that's, and that's it, the it's, ones that it's have it's that designation. So, so the the tax base is not as high. So you're looking at like a million five a year versus nineteen, 19 million. million. So even if you replace it with that, that goes away as and well. And the jobs. And the jobs. The other thing is with wind and solar, you know, to operate. Uh, a solar field that provides that much power, you're talking like five to seven jobs. I've heard as low as three, but in reality, it's like five to seven jobs. That doesn't count the construction. The construction obviously will be six months to a year and a half. And, you know, there's more jobs with that, but they don't have to use local. They could get other people to come in, whatever. Um, but this, okay, so this is where it gets fun. And this is what we've talked about. <laughs> so at the rec- recommendation of PISAC and its members, you know, we looked at, are we, they looked at, I, I had nothing to do with it. Sarah did. So I, Sarah, and we talked a lot. So yeah, looked at one of the two of the best solutions based on tax revenue, jobs, uh, community, economic growth, the clean side of it. I think that's important to say too. It, is. it was, uh, tell me what that stands for. I know what it is, but what um, it? it's carbon capture or, uh, uh, uh coal fire gas or gas. So that's um, so so it's natural gas with it's carbon a natural capture. Gas, yeah, with carbon was capture. one of them, and then the one that the newspaper article and the fights about is advanced nuclear. So advanced nuclear is not only SMRs, but there's I, and some engineers going to kill me, but it's like an advanced ion reactor. Um, there's actually patents and regular the regulatory process started this week for fusion reactors, cold fusion reactors, which nobody's really talking about, but that's another big one that 15 years from now, that could be the way. Cause it's not the same as a small modular reactor, a small pebble reactor or whatever. Um, but advanced nuclear, it looks at all of those. So the second you say that in Colorado, again, who controls the Colorado political discussion? Which party controls it? Mm-hmm. The Democrats. So the Democrat Party. Um, and, and I'm going to get a little partisan on this, but it, it's but not partisan. It's just important to recognize it. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to nuclear energy in Colorado, the platform of the Democrat Party is no nuclear in Colorado. That's on their platform. And that's a big one for Pueblo, which ties into this mayor election because Mm, the outgoing mayor, um, even in his outgoing interview, said he's going to do what he can to keep nuclear free. The opponents of nuclear in Pueblo say, why put something in where we take the risks and other people get the benefits? And that's where the power goes because it does not come to Pueblo. There there is something that goes to um, Everest Steel Mill, but I think they're like 100% solar now. I think that solar filled out their powers ever as at least most of it are 80% solar. Um, but the, this is interesting too. So there, for those of you that did not know, there was a nuclear plant in Colorado and I need to find this. So Sarah, why don't you tell us about how you came to this decision and go over Thanks. the other technologies? So can you tell that we've talked about this at great length and everything that we've done? So let me back up really quick, Brian, and tell you, um, I, I need to... I need to back up and, and talk a little bit about this committee. So this committee started to meet, um, and these were this these were community members, and you can go on the website and see exactly who they are. I'm not speaking for them. I'm speaking just for me. But these were community members that were leaders in the community that were not elected officials. And because we wanted to stay nonpartisan, that's really the reason that we— And who was on the PISAC committee? Tell us who the members of this committee. So were. there was eleven members of the committee. I'm going to mess this up. Um, uh, we had um, Francis Concilia and Corinne Kohler as the uh, co-chairs. We had Patty Urjavic, Dennis Mays, um, Jeff uh, Jeff Shaw, myself, um, Jerry Bella, Dwayne Nava. I'm forgetting several. 
and I apologize, I'm forgetting several of it, but again, you can go on the website and see who they were. So these are all um, people who really dedicate, um, are really dedicated to the community. And uh, it was 10 months of, of not uh, deliberation so much as really understanding what all the options were. But before we did that, we sat down and we said, what's the most important thing with regard to this discussion? Yes. What do we want the outcomes to be? When we looked at, um, and we wanted to look at it through this lens, what's the most important What's the most important thing? And really, it was to make Pueblo whole. We know that everything that happens here um, is is carefully observed. So, how do we make these transition communities who are having who've been sort of built around production of energy, um, especially coal? How do we make them whole when we remove their ability to produce? What's the impact? Of that, um, what are we? What are we actually talking about? So that was the the idea: is how do we make Pueblo whole? Pueblo has already given um, so more than anybody else in in the state, really, because they they closed down one, they closed down two, um, and they've been really great. Pueblo has been really great about opening their arms to solar, to wind, um, and these oh, yeah. are really really important. We want to see that happen. We want to see um, clean, safe, reliable energy. But we still have to make Pueblo whole. They've paid so much already, and, and there's got to be a way to do that. So that was how we approached it. And we looked at, we spent 10 months being educated on all of the options. And ultimately, we came to the two best, and we, we put forward the two best, and that was um, a gas uh not dissimilar from what we see um, already here in Pueblo, with carbon capture but um, those jobs, that was the next best. Those jobs are, are they're tremendously lower um, property tax that we would get. And here's the difference between them. Um, so long-term or primary jobs, 20 to 25 for that. Um, the salary was um, 80,000 to 100 or 120 K um, and property tax would yield 15.52 million, million. Uh, per year. Um, advanced nuclear would be two to three hundred jobs, ranging from sixty thousand to two hundred thousand, and ninety five million dollars, ninety five million plus dollars each year in tax revenue back to um, back to the community. So when when we hear, well, we're not going to get the the energy. It's not we're not going to produce energy um, for Pueblo. There's already an energy producer for Pueblo. We're not talking about the energy. We're talking about how do we make Pueblo whole. Also, I'd argue that why sacrifice this much land for giant solar farms? Wind doesn't work here in Pueblo. We know no. that. Yeah. But why, if we're not producing energy for Pueblo, then why do we need to give up give up like a quarter of our land to produce energy for somebody else? That's a great question. I I can't answer. Yeah. The logic yeah well, that's yet. what I'm saying. So, the argument can go both ways. So, and for and just to make it. To say he was on the committee, it was Jerry Bella, who was a, oh, a thank un- you. union guy, correct? Yep. Sarah Blackhurst. Uh, Yay. Russell DeSalvo, who oh, yes. runs um, Pueblo Plex, that's the reuse authority for Yes, the such depot. a good man. Patty Urjavik, the president yep. of PCC Big until fan. May. Then she retires. Um, Dennis Mays, who's a retired judge. And I think, is he on the school board? Yeah, he Yeah, is. he's on the school board for District 60. 60. Uh, so he was elected. He was, but he was elected. Towards the end of it, so he wasn't elected official on it. Technically. Yeah, technically, but, but. Um, Tim Mote, who is the president of CSU Pueblo, or was because yeah. Armando took over yesterday. I think it was. Yep. Um, Dwayne Nava, who's the president and CEO of the Pueblo Chamber of Commerce. Jeff Shaw is president of the Pueblo Economic Development corporation uh chris wiseman who's a former county commissioner um community activist he's done a lot oh uh, he's he's ran the state fair he's just an all-around good guy and then the co-chairs were francis concilia who if you're from there you know her and corinne kohler yes how you say it i think it's kohler or collier and corinne we're really sorry we're so we're such good friends we haven't 
said your last name correctly. Yeah, and, and that was who's on, who was on the committee to look at this. So you're looking at basically both the job aspect, the economic development aspect, Correct. the leadership aspect. Uh, you know, that's Chris Wiseman, again, former county commissioner, so he understands the challenges and needs of Pueblo County as a whole. And these were the people that sat on this committee. Excel was involved with it, but they weren't running the show. And that no. was another thing that people are saying, that this was just Excel's kind of handpicked group to get what they want. Now, what was interesting when this was announced that they recommend the committee recommends advanced nuclear, you know, Excel wouldn't say that they agreed with that. And, no, I, and I think that should have been taken up too, because the, the chieftain article afterwards and some of the stuff in the, the social media ether is saying that Excel put this together basically to control a group to say that they're going to build a nuclear power plant. Excel has no, no buy-in on this one way or the other. This is actually to recommend to Excel what they want to put to a plan together for the community and submit it to get approved. So they could do whatever they want. Excel could yeah, look at they this and be like, go, yeah, this makes sense. Awesome. Let's do we're solar. Not gonna do, yeah, yeah. They yeah. can do whatever they want on it. If this is our recommendation based on what would make this community whole? Yeah. What's safe, reliable, and make the community whole? Now, let me say that um, this is a recommendation. Yeah, there's a lot of there's been a lot of questions. I believe deserve answers about this. Uh, we had, um, and while this was going on, we knew that this was happening, but we had no, we couldn't touch this at all. Yeah. They went around and they did the Keating Group. They did. Um, they conducted a poll of 500 registered voters, and this is what they found. And Keating's very well respected. There were also a number of uh, roundtable discussions, one-on-one interviews with people who um, have that that are well known um, to have a, a lot of feelings about um, about nuclear. Nuclear, sorry. Um, so let me tell you, 60 uh, Keating's poll. And we didn't, we weren't allowed to touch it. We didn't get to see the questions, nothing. It was just straight. 63 of, 63% of Puebloans are concerned about the closure of Comanche 3. 74% supported a new combined gas plant with carbon capture. And 66% supported advanced nuclear. So this is another th- topic that's been brought up or not brought up. Pueblo's had the discussion to go nuclear in the past, and there was a lot of pushback from the community, and the timing of it was just terrible because it was the Fukushima plant right when it went down, so nuclear was bad. You saw a lot of these countries close down their nuclear plants because of poor management, in my opinion, of an right. outdated and old facility that was built on a fault line. Um, so it went away. So this was already in the work years ago. Now it's different. The, the naysayers say that it's not going to be – ready in time. And part of that reason is COVID kind of stopped the research and development. We would have functional tested deployed SMRs right now, but COVID took two years away from that process, but they're coming. And and there's already a spot in Colorado where they're looking at it. Um, The political side of it, again, the, the party that's in control of the state, they say no nuclear, but at the same time, the party that's in control of the country, which is the same party, is pushing advanced nuclear. There's, they're right. throwing a lot of money with the Department of Energy, the right. DOE's basically boots on the ground going out to educate people. But, so with all that in mind, the last time nuclear came up, there is a very large movement in Pueblo that is anti-nuclear. And, and that's fine. No, I'm not I, saying I'm gonna, it's bad. I'm going to say it's not a large movement. I'm going to say it's a very loud movement. It's a, it's a loud, organized movement that's a, kind of a, a throwback small, from right. the 70s. And part of that was Throwback the, from the 70s, key there. Well, actually, the 2000s. So Col- the 80s. Colorado, I would say the 90s. Okay. So Colorado had a nuclear power plant. It's, um, if anybody knows the saying, it's Fort Fort St. Drain is what they call it, but Fort St. Vrain nuclear power plant. Um, it was de- decommissioned in the 90s. They had some issues. From the people that were involved with it, it was um, basically private and they just didn't spend the money and there was there was an accident there. It wasn't a nuclear accident. It was like shoddy work from contractors and right. then a drip on a sensor, but they shut it down. It was an operation, I think for gosh, I don't know, maybe 10 years or something 
like that. It's um, 1979 to 1989 is when it was in operation. And they turned it into uh, either a coal or a gas-fired plant. But, you know, there, there's a lot of that. There's a history, and we had Brian come on and talk about the uranium mines, that there is a history right. of misuse and abuse when it comes to nuclear material, specifically mining and storing nuclear material. Um, but I don't think it's the same. This isn't the wild west of uranium like he, he Well, and it. we're talking about, like, he's literally an archaeologist, so we're talking about yeah, fifty years yeah, ago but, or more. But that's still that's still in the minds, and it's I understand cultural that. Resonates, and there's there's issues. But I, again, going back to all this stuff, the people that have not been asked about this up until this survey were the actual people of Pueblo, the average yes. citizen. There has never yes. been a discussion with the layman, and they don't have time. To be fair, people don't have time to go to public discussion, no. public comments, especially when they have them at like 3 p.m. on a Wednesday or 3 p.m. on a Thursday. Right. But nobody's actually reached out to the public. This survey did. And, you know, it's kind of like 66% isn't high, that's, but out of 500, that's... That's pretty good. Because if you talk to the opposition of this, they say nobody in Pueblo wants this. I think let the people decide. I honestly, this would be a great thing, I think, if they would vote on it. If you had a ballot like sent out, you know, it costs money and it really has no legal aspect to it. But if there was like, if there was an election where you got, how many people voted in the mayor? Like 26,000. If you had Mm -hmm. 26,000 people in Pueblo vote yes or no on nuclear, I think that'd be awesome because it would show where we stand. Now, if the people don't want it, then Excel has to take that in consideration. If, I mean, if they're really, if the majority of people, so this has been the interesting part to me and where I get confused I, I'm on the, I'm of the thought that we should at least discuss yes, it had, an option to make Pueblo whole. We should at least discuss an option for making these transition communities whole. And if we, so, so what I liked about, you know, what was interesting about the natural gas and they supported a, a combined, this is what it is, a combined cycle gas plant with carbon capture. That's what that stood for. Um, combined cycle gas plant with carbon capture would be the second one. And that was the one that 74% of, of the, of the Publins surveyed and 500 is a large number, by the way. Um, people think, Oh, that's not that much, but it, if you, as far as surveys go and the survey service, was like 25 minutes long, it wasn't short. I yeah, took it. I did it. Oh, you did it. Yeah. I didn't know you did it. Um, so, it was a really that's really really telling to me um, that they want that they want that if that's what this community wants that's what this community deserves. But the trend right now is if they don't if the the loudest people in the room don't agree with it and they're the people that are at the discussion of this table they refuse to discuss it or that's even right. acknowledge it on the table. That's right. If you say nuclear, they don't want to talk about it. If you say gas, they don't want to talk about it. If you say solar and wind, they don't want to talk about it. It goes both sides. And they're like, well, you know, for the people that are anti-solar, oh, it doesn't produce that much power and it gets cloudy. Like, I don't even want to talk about that. Let's talk about nuclear. Then the other side, like, well, we're not even going to discuss nuclear because we don't want nuclear in Pueblo. So that's not part of the discussion. Well, and then they hijacked the discussion. And that well, yeah, happened. Yeah. That's happened. That's, several times that, yeah. which where I would really so this is the this is the other part that's been sort of eye-opening to me I I don't often have a hard time discussing something with someone but if they're just flat refuse to discuss it then I don't there you can't you can't have a discussion if somebody's not willing to that's a two-way yeah. street right to have that discussion but the um, point of an activist is not to have a discussion and we get so caught up in trying to find what's right. We don't realize that when you're dealing with an activist, no matter what it is, the point is there is no discussion and, and it's, it's anything. And it's not just this. So if you're an activist, you do not want discussion on what you're pushing. So why this is, no, you're absolutely right. And, and we've seen that a lot and I'll, I'll tell you about that in just a second, but uh, the gas plant and there is a tremendous movement to get rid of gas yeah. in Colorado as well. Yeah. yeah. So so we're, we're kind of in a position of damned if you do and damned if you don't. But from where I'm sitting, 
I agree with the committee. I, I'm in, in lockstep with the committee that the most important thing is making Pueblo whole. And so th- here's what's, here's what was interesting. Um, you probably got it. If you listen to the show, you may, ha- you might have gotten, um, an email blast, uh, a couple weeks ago where I said, this is what it is. I just gave a quick, even mm-hmm. a shorter summary. This is what we did. And we, and we did recommend, um, advanced nuclear. And not action 22. This was just an email blast of this study going out saying, Hey, I was a part of this. This is what the group I was a part of recommended done. It's what not you, a position of action. 22. No, it wasn't a position of action 22. It's just, this was the committee. This was what, um, what do you think? Um, and I had a couple of positive responses over email. I had a few of those, but, um, I got, e- I was, got some really angry emails that, um, and we, I was referred to as delusional, um, uh, wanting to keep, um, I was ignorant, um, you know, keeping Southern Colorado down. Like there was some really, um, and, and so a couple of them I responded to, I was like, okay, help me understand your position. What is it that you, you know, how do you think Pueblo could be made whole um, with with clean energy, like utilizing clean energy, safe, reliable, clean energy? How could Pueblo be made whole? And um, they doubled down on their insults. That was the yeah, answer, yeah, is they doubled down on their insults, yeah. which I, I found very, very telling. I didn't take it personally, but I think... Um, we're, I think what we're, the discussion is going to be come in the coming days, and we're going to continue to have this discussion because it's, it's worth fighting for. It's worth fighting about um, is how do you make Pueblo whole if you don't – so if you're not going to discuss it, if you're not going to look at options, if you're just going to dismiss it out of hand without any discussion, I, I can't talk to you. Like I, I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, if, however, somebody can come to me – and say, um, I have this idea that's better than what you guys have come up with after um, 10 months of study, deliberation, discussion, um, that would make Pueblo and these and all of these transition communities whole. I am all ears. I want to hear that. I want to understand why, first of all, you're so angry about a discussion, and number two, what is your idea that's better than this. And, and I'm happy. I would, I would love to hear that. I would love to hear that because when you do that, you tell me you're signaling to me that what you care about are these communities. And that's what I want to hear from. They don't care about that though. <laughs> I, w- I wish you weren't wrong on that. No, I wish no, you weren't it's wrong. Not, it's unfortunately that's not going to happen. That's why I think you just ask the people what they want. You don't ask the activists will be drowned out by the voice of people. People tend to forget, especially in this line of work, that the loudest, screamingest, most passionate people are less than 1% of what I, you didn't even give them 10%, you know, whatever of the actual populace. So, so and that's also been my experience. I've had so many people approach me privately, not by email, but um, some by email, but also just come up or, or send me a message or, or whatever saying, um, this is so great. I want you to talk to this person. This is so great. So we've had lots and lots of conversations, and yeah. we're going to continue to have those and, conversations. And there's a lack of education when it comes to these things as well, What you're going to yeah. see a lot of groups coming in and no side whatsoever, just doing the education part. So And using well, decades-old data. Yeah, and, and, and they're, and, they're and, already yeah. – they're, they're, they're getting out there, so you're going to yeah. see that. So. But ask us any questions. Yep. Let us know what you think. I actually genuinely want to know what you think. Yep. People, and people don't be, people don't believe me, but I do want to know. And just email show at action twenty two dot org or Brian at makingactionhappen dot com works as well. Uh, with that, I think we'll wrap it up now. Um, just if you're still listening and you're with us, but starting next week, we're going to do. I'm going to do a legislative update yes. three times a week, and that'll be available just on YouTube in the morning hopefully by eight, between eight and nine, so you can know what's going on and where to go to voice your opinion and be part of that stakeholder process as well. And the views and opinions expressed on Making Action Happen do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of Action Colorado, its board or its membership. And drop us a line. You could still email us at show at action22.org or brian at makingactionhappen.com. Visit our website. We actually have 
an own, our own dedicated website to making action happen. And it's just making action happen.com. So you could drop me a line there as well. Awesome. Chad Borthman, I know you're listening. Um, I'm wondering if you're being a punk today and took uh, groundhog day off as well, uh, in tradition with my dad. All right, guys, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to making action happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.